Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. I was on the Tommy Tiernan show last year. Yes. So Tommy was doing his thing and we, we'd been talking for about an hour. And then he went, do you ever have like, do you know, <laughs> trauma or pain? A fella like you. Do you know, you'd be going, yeah. you'd be going up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd be, you know, would you ever go a bit mad? Yeah. Do you know? And for absolutely no reason whatsoever, I began to talk about how damaged I was and how I'm not ashamed to be damaged. It's to do with my father and we don't speak and we haven't spoken in, you know, 15 years. And I've had to deal with that struggle for years. So this is part two of a fascinating conversation that I had with leading psychotherapist and author Tony Bates. We covered so much ground in part one. And if you haven't heard it yet, I strongly encourage you to scroll back and do so. And in this episode, we chat about many more very interesting and important things, including family trauma and therapy, something that, as you can hear in the opening clip, I'm particularly interested in and have my own personal experience of, as does Tony. We also get stuck into his views about the scourge of overprescription of medication worldwide, particularly for young kids, his experience with patients who use a lot of cannabis, and also why we should all embrace pain. And she looked at me very seriously. She said, even at four, you understood me better than your father. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, I turned to the family, I said, did you hear that? Did you hear that? I said, no wonder I'm a mess. How are you feeling, Mario? Good. Okay, and you're taking the tablets, good. Well, stay on the tablets because you, you might feel bad if you go off them. How are you feeling, Mario? Bad. Oh, you obviously need the tablets. Let's give you some more. Many people who came into James's were young and had been on heavy doses of weed for some time and they got this cannabis psychosis. They, they, they started to freak out in their head and then they got trapped in these hallucinations. They couldn't get back out. So for me, pain is a door that's inviting us to step through it and, and grow. And that, to me, is, is breaking the heart open. My full chat with Tony Bates coming right up after comedy. Now, did you see this during the week? The um, broadcaster, well, he used to be in Fox News, Tucker Carlson, very kind of out there, almost a far-right broadcaster now, who's now broadcasting on X formerly known as Twitter, and with the support of Elon Elon Musk and the backing of Elon Musk. And he made some very, very, very provocative comments in a conversation he had with Steve Bannon, uh, who you may remember was an advisor to Trump in the first administration, about Ireland. They were talking about Sinn Féin being this tiny, um, tiny populist group that isn't good, that hasn't, hasn't got a chance of getting into power yet. But worse, they thought that they said that the Irish government is seeking to replace the Irish population with people people from third world countries. Wow. That's an incredible uh, statement to make altogether. Got a, quite a reaction um, um, on the internet. And uh, listen, we got access to Tucker Carlson's voicemails. Here they are. Hey, you've reached Tucker Carlson. Please leave a message after the fascist chant. <laughs> Uh, hi, Tucker. Uh, this is uh, Leo Varadkar here, uh, the Irish Prime Minister. Uh, I must say, uh, I'm just ringing to say I take exception uh, to your uh, very unsympathetic remarks about our country. 
And uh, furthermore, I would like to politely... Give me that phone, Leo. Pascal, what are you doing? Now, listen here, you little tucker. This is Pascal Donahue. Here. Now, I know your kind, and I know you like bleeding hard, man. So here it is. You ever put my gaff again, I'll go near it. And I'll knock you into the fucking middle of next week. Prick. Cocker, George Hook. I'm the Irish Ducker. <laughs> Loving your work. It's on repeat on a loop out in the men's shed with John Waters and Ivan Yates. We're having a house. <laughs> Tucker, Matt Cooper here from Today FM in Ireland. Listen, Cal Thomas, so I know is a friend of yours, is off this week. So any chance you could fill in on him um, for the, uh, the, the the USA section? We do with Marion McKeown. We're having trouble um, locating a suitably right-wing, a wing-nut, sociopathic lunatic. Thank you. Tucker! Hey! It's Conor McGregor! I want you to be my chief advisor as I run for the Irish presidency! The country is dissolving in chaos! The people have had enough! They need a new leader! They are ready to revolt! Hey! And who is more revolting than me and you? Hey! <laughs> First time I've ever done Tucker Carlson on a sketch. Uh, I wonder, will it be the last? Um, Okay, so let's get back to the main event. Tony Bates, the psychotherapist. This is part two of our chat, and we just pick it up again where we left off in part one. Enjoy. Do people who emerge um, at the other end of this journey through uh, struggle, do people often emerge as greater people? Afterwards, okay. So I suppose let's say we could say you helped yourself, you got help, you listened, you yeah. you got you you were you were listened to, you you discovered something about yourself. But do people sometimes go on to do a little bit of what you did that you had an epiphany almost through it, yeah, and that they go for want of a better expression, no, I get it. I found what I need to do. I found what I yeah, want to do. Yeah. In other words. Do, do some people not only get cured, but exactly. do they go on to be more? More. Yeah. I, I think so. I think if you ask anybody who's done anything, I, I'm, I'm tonight I'm having a launch in the sanctuary with Sister Stan. But, you know, she, her work with the homeless came out of her own struggle. And, and, and she would say she saw herself in the homeless and she was and she be, really wanted to understand because she was making sense of her own life. And that's how it started with eight women that she started with 45 years ago. Um, but she I think anybody who has done anything, it's often come out of a moment of great pain. Pain is often the door we walk through. To, to grow, to discover our truth. I, I think the, the goal for all of us has to be that we learn to live inside our own skin, to become, to, to, to become a person that we are, you know, to speak in our own voice, yes. to, to, to be real. We, yeah. I think that's, that's recovery, that's oh. cure, if you like. But I also think people who've been, whose hearts are broken open, they find, they find something inside that gives them a direction in their life. Yes, they do. I um, have, I've been, I, the last couple of years I've been, um, I, I find the experience of talking to um, strangers, yeah. whether it's on the podcast yeah. 
and I get to know them. Or talking to interviewers who interview me for newspapers or television. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've developed a sneaky trick over the last six years. Okay. And that was that um, I developed the confidence or the realisation that, you know what? I can actually use some of these on peculiar setups because an interview, interviews, interviewee situation, it's a very peculiar setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very peculiar. Um, somebody's there talking to you. How are you doing, Mario? How are you doing, Grant? Oh, Grant, yeah, you had that. Would you have a few drinks last night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll switch this on now. Hi, I'm with Mario Rosenstock. Mario, what do you think about your upcoming tour? It's a very artificial sort of question yeah, and all this. Yeah, yeah, but I decided yeah. I'd, I'd use them to use the stranger to get things off my chest. Okay. And anyway, it ended up that um, I was on the Tommy Tiernan show last year. Yes. So Tommy was doing his thing and we, we'd been talking for about an hour. And then he went, um, and then he went, um, do you ever have like, do you know, <laughs> trauma or pain? A fella like you. Do you know, you'd be going, yeah. you'd be going up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd be, you know, would you ever go a bit mad? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And I knew exactly where his question was coming from. And for absolutely no reason whatsoever, I began to talk about how damaged I was and how I was damaged and how I'm not ashamed to be damaged because I know that everybody is damaged. He didn't know what I was talking about. And he said, how do you mean? And I went, well, it's it's to do with, you know, my father and we don't speak. And we haven't spoken in, you know, um, 15 years. Why? Don't know. Is there a fight? No. What's the issue? There's a vacuum. Mm. There's nothing. Can you fix it? Another Ivan Yates, the broadcaster, roared at me on air. Why don't you fix it? Some trauma going on in his life. Mm. What's wrong with you? Mm. You'll die and you'll regret it. Mm. And I've had to deal with that struggle for years. Mm. And my own realisation is that in relation to uh, my struggle with that is that sometimes you can't fix something and Mm. sometimes Mm. the fix is to leave well enough alone Mm. and to let it be Mm. and to come to the peace Mm. that that means Um, um, I guess what I'm talking about is that I know one of the the things that interests you is Mm. how underestimated and underappreciated the difficulties and trauma caused by family relationships yes are in our world mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about in Ireland miscarriage abortion we talk yeah. a lot about mental health in inverted yeah. commas yeah. parentheses everywhere there's yeah. the mental health industry now there are people yeah. who monetize mental health some better than others um, and some of them are great but we've talked a lot about 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 things that affect us taboo subjects but nothing is talked about family the one subject nobody can go there. Yeah. Don't wash your dirty linen in public. Yeah. And of course, as Bob Dylan famously sang um, in, a, in, a, in his great comeback album, Time Out of Mind, 1997. Yeah. He's, I never forget his line because he's, he's like, like a great poet. Yeah. He's able to say something so simply. And he's one of his lines. It's, a, it's in a song called um, uh, It's Not Dark Yet, But It's Getting There. The song is called. And it's about him getting older. But one of the lines goes, I was born here and I'll die here against my will. I just thought, what an extraordinary, extraordinary line. I was born here in this world yeah. and I will die here. And I didn't choose either yes. of these things. Yeah. Somebody put me in here. Yeah. 
and I didn't want to be here necessarily. Yeah, I'm yeah. just here, and I'm yeah. gonna make. I'm gonna play the hand I'm given. Yeah. But one of the things that happens when you're born here and you're dying here yeah. is you're given a family. Yes. And you don't choose your family. Yes. They're just put there. Yes. And you have to deal with it, and it can lead to a lot of trauma. Yes. And it's hardly ever talked about in this country, and I know that's something you're interested in. Well, I, I think those, those I, I always call them those loved ones in our lives. Um, and under those difficult people in our lives that we call loved ones. Um, I mean, you know, it is probably for all of us where where pain begins, you know. And I mean, there are the extremes of neglect and abuse and maltreatment of children that happen in some families and they make headlines in the papers and they, you know, we're all shocked and appalled by what we hear, rightfully so. But there are ordinary families where people are subtly... Um, maltreated I suppose or not listened to not given coerced to be something that the parents want them to be um, uh, because the parents are looking to children to, to redeem their social image you know they, they want them to be successful because then I'll be good and I look great I'll be able to I'll have stories to tell mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know uh, I mean some of this is all very human but 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 I, I think a lot of our lives is 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 spent coming to terms with with that, you know. I, I mean, I I had two parents who really loved me. I was very lucky, and and yet we did each other such harm in 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 you know which I've written about and used a Bob Dylan uh, line. Let us not talk falsely now, um, because I I. We finally, after years of not telling the truth about things that happened in our family, we I got them together in the States in 86 and 87 and they came over and we went into family therapy and we began to talk about truth. And um, it was very healing for everybody, uh, very, very good, but just unbelievable the stuff that we were finally able to talk about. My mother turns to me, father, and says... How did Jim die? You know, Jim was my younger brother who died a week before I went into hospital. I said, how did he die? You know, <laughs> they never talked about no. it. And I mean, my father in true army style says, well, you know, look, it was for the best. He would have been a vegetable. He would have been a vegetable. He was grand. He had German measles, acronychephalitis. But, um, you know, we talked about that and we talked about other things. And at one point, family therapist, my mother and my father. And at one point she turned, he turned to me and I said, OK, now, OK, guys, Oedipus is retiring. I'm out of business. You know, I'd taken her on as a client of four. You're you're done, OK? Um, I'm 30, what age was I then? 34. And I, I said, you know. Your favourite age. My favourite age. I said, you're done. You know, I'm, I'm out of here. And she looked at me very seriously. And um, mother was a wonderful woman. And she said, oh, yeah, she said, I know. She said, but even it's, it wasn't fair. But she said, even at four, you understood me better than your father. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, I turned to the family. I said, did you hear that? Did you hear that? I said, you, no wonder I'm a mess. <laughs> you know, um, the that, people, the, the, often the one group of people we can't talk to are our family. Yeah, I know. And it's, In it's fact, at all costs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's. The death of your brother couldn't even be mentioned. Couldn't be mentioned. 
And again, because they were people who felt it was wrong to hurt each other in any way. So they, they didn't want to or do to that. open that can of worms. Open that can of worms. Um, so uh, I, I think that shaped me as an experience. And, and dealing with my family shaped me. And I begin the book with my mother's death, which was an extraordinary moment in my life. Uh, and one I'm really pleased I was able to be there for because... She died quite suddenly in 91. It was a beautiful death. I mean, she, you know, she, as I say, she showed me how to die. That was her final gift. Um, but, you know, I, my siblings had all gone away because she was, she had been a bit sick, but you know, she was fine. So they'd all gone away and they were down the country, over in England, in Australia. Um, and so when she was moved quickly to the hospice, I was the only one and I sat with her for 18 hours, you know. Um, and... I didn't sleep or anything. I just sat and she was conscious and about two hours and the rest of the time she was, you know, rattling and uh, just dying. Um, but I got to say what I wanted to say and I, I had this conversation out loud with her, you know, um, and she was head back, you know. And I mean, it was very important. And when she died, I had such a feeling of peace. You know, I, I knew she was okay, and I was okay. And my my brother rang me and said, "Are you doing okay?" You know, I've been keeping them, you know, informed. And I said he was on the way back from Mayo, and I said, "I said, you know, I'm 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 here hanging out with a corpse, and I'm great. I'm fine. I, I I'm such peace. You know, I was cleaning up her things." Um, the priest came in to say a few more prayers. I said, out! I said, get out! <laughs> you know, he was he just all he wanted to do. Was to, but he'd done the last rites. So this was enough. Now, she was going to get into heaven. The last so thing we, you needed at that yeah, stage yeah, was yeah. a guy coming in going, you need God in your life. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd try that one. That. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd been there, done that. So, you know, it was, um, uh, it, it, it was very important for me and I think that she lived a long life. Once she, she used to say in her latter days, oh, God, I wish I could just go now and die. And she said, you know, why is God keeping me here? When I go to sleep at night, I pray I won't be here when I wake up. And she'd say things like that. And eventually I said to her, well, you know, maybe you're here because you and I have stuff to do. And we, you know, I didn't hug her until I was 35, I think. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that. So, you so know... physical issues in Ireland as well, isn't yeah, there? Oh, it? We have an issue with... Yeah, we're not oh, Latins. Oh. We have an issue with physical oh, affection. Huge. I've, huge. I'm a very tactile person. And yeah. um, I've always made a virtue of being... I'm conscious of the fact that I'm a tactile person. Yes, yes, yes. So in other words, yeah. I'm, act I'm consciously mm, tactile. Yeah. Um, so I would put my arm around somebody's shoulder very, very quickly. Yeah. With you know, in a sort of a in a way that I hope doesn't invade their personal space. Yeah. You kind of gauge. You try to feel a vibe from somebody. Yeah. And I'll give a, a hug to a person quite quickly. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I, and the reason I do it, of course, is because oh, very few things bring us together, like and give people confidence. It's beautiful. Like physical. Yeah. yeah. Physical affection and just small yeah, physical affection. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's from the basic handshake to just an arm around the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. Or. Uh, our, 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 you know, proper eye contact. Yes. You know, yeah, we yeah, don't make, yeah, yeah. a lot of people don't make proper eye contact. Yes, they avert yes, their yes, eyes. Yes, yeah. To give somebody your eyes to look them straight yeah, in the yeah, face yeah, is a big yeah. deal and it shows yeah, that you're yeah, with yeah, them, yeah. you're, you're yeah, here for yeah, them yeah. and that, you know, you're listening to yeah, them. Absolutely. Um, what you want, I wanted to, to, to say something about the 45 years you talked about, about the mental health industry 
and there were some issues with that. Um, uh, and I think for is me, this to do, uh, is this to do with some areas like toxic positivity, etc.? And that inclu- included, yeah, I think that's uh, the, that. That's a big one. I, 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 that's a nice phrase. I didn't. Use, that was my phrase. It was. It, it was. I think we were terrified to talk about mental illness and all those things. Forty-five years ago, my mother's mantra was not a word. She was in and out of hospital a couple of times with depression, um, but not a word was the mantra. You know, we literally, <laughs> and uh, I think. You know, we, we've improved a lot in being able to, to talk about these things and accept that we all have mental health issues at some point and we need to talk to people. And that's all very good. What concerns me is that as time has gone on, it seems to me we're more and more inclined to frame our mental health issues, our emotional struggles, our growing pains, our coming to terms with family um, and dealing with these issues. We're more inclined to see them and talk about them in the language of psychiatric diagnosis. So that suddenly it's mental health is something, not something I'm dealing with, but it's something I have, something that's wrong with me, mm. you know. And I, I so you know, this young girl said to a principal near me the other day, 17, she said, you know, I, 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 I know what's wrong with me. I'm a borderline person. I, ha- I have borderline personality disorder. Mm. So this thing I have mm. in my head. Mm. And we've no evidence that people have these mm. things. For years, we say to people who had depression, well, you've got a chemical imbalance inside your head. And in 2020, the World Conscious Psychiatry had to come out and say, well, actually, we kind of had that wrong. Really? Uh, oh, yes. And for top news on BBC throughout the world. And they said there's they did a huge study in University College London, Joanne Moncrief, and found there was no evidence that, of, that of, of any chemical imbalance, not just serotonin, but any neurochemical in neurotransmitter. Well, what does that say about everybody that's been prescribed with lithium, for example, for years? The second thing they said, well, sorry, I'll come to lithium, is slightly, but the second thing they said is there is no evidence that antidepressants work by altering um, serotonin levels. Okay. Now, you know, this, this was the fiction that most people were raised on. Um, and this is the oral college of psychiatry. Now, there's been, you know, uh, John Moncrease, a professor of, of psychiatry in University College London, a really fine woman and researcher. I was at a conference with her two weeks ago, you know, on Zoom. And she talked about the impact of these findings since. And she has nearly had to get police protection. I mean, she's been assaulted in the media and almost... and and, and and demeaned by her own colleagues, you know, uh, accused of being. Uh, but anyway, wow. she she answered all the criticisms and she's held her ground. And that is the that is the state of play. And so you know, when we when so I I do not for a moment want to minimize the pain people go through when they are depressed. But let's use depressed in a, as an adverb rather than a proper noun. But when you say they're depressed because they have depression, well, that's odd. You know, a disease entity inside that's causing them to feel this way. What's causing them to feel this way is what they've experienced in their lives. And they still be experiencing. They're struggling with that. They're unresolved losses, pains, tensions, traumas, and, and, and also maybe the fact that they're not dealing with it very well in the present because they're relying on alcohol or, you know, one or other types of addictions. Um, and, 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 and they're issues. They're real issues. There's not 
uh, uh, not some elusive disease that's making them feel this yes, bad. And does that mean their body isn't involved? Of course it is. Their, their brain is involved in neurobiology. They're, all that stuff is involved in their pain because when I feel happy, my neurobiology is a certain way. When I feel sexy, when I feel hungry, you know. So, of course, the, the, the brain is involved, but in a much more subtle and complex way. It's not a simplistic the brain has something wrong and making me feel this way. So I, I think I think there's something for me odd that we're framing our problems in terms of psychiatric diagnosis for which we have no clear evidence. There's no biomarker. There's no blood test for depression, anxiety, even schizophrenia, you know. Um, there are lots of indications people are in behavioural and relational and all the rest of it that people are not doing well um, and we need to take those seriously and all that. But but yeah, I, I am concerned that we all have something wrong with us. Um, some research from Denmark said that by age 45, 90% of adults will qualify for a di- psychiatric diagnosis in the DSM, which is the Bible for psychiatric diagnosis. Um, and uh, probably by age 60, every one of us will, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's fine because I think we probably should get over ourselves and realise that we are all vulnerable and we all have something. But when you call it uh, an illness, well, then it, it means there's more drugs needed. You know, it's the, it's the province of... And and our the amount of diagnosis and the, the, the rise in prescribing medicine over the last 10 years uh, is alarming. I have all the figures in that book. Which raises other very, very yeah. dubious questions. And then you get all these things like what's happening in, 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 in Kerry and CAMS and all that, the, the over-prescribing and children of 11 and 12 girls lactating because they're on heavy antidepressants. And and then, then and they said, well, that was just Kerry and it was one guy. And then mental health inspector Susan Finnerty did a, a CAMS report throughout the country and found this is happening everywhere. And also and, ADHD and yeah. the whole, I mean, in America and Ireland yeah. and the Western world, you know, the prescriptions for kids on ADHD. 8% of all children between aged 5 and 17 in the States are diagnosed with ADHD and taking prescribed medication. Um it has risen in England uh, by thousands of percent over the last yeah. 20 years. Um, and it is it's almost the default explanation for why a child is not paying attention or fitting in. When there might be many reasons a child is unable to learn and concentrate and focus. They have a problem, but it may not be something wrong inside their brain. Um, I respect that people need diagnostic labels sometimes to get resource into the classroom, and I understand that. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not going to ditch ADHD as a label anytime soon. But, you know, it is it is a concern that we're, you know... And then and, and then they're given... If they, they, they misbehave and react to the medicine, they're, they're given another label, which is ODD, Opposition and Defiant Disorder, uh, or a new one now, Emerging unstable personality disorder. I mean, this is emerging, emerging unstable for 11, 12, 13 year olds. And then if if, if they're treated and they're not complying and not going well, somebody will then say, do you think he could be on the spectrum? 
autism. autism, autistic spectrum disorder. So you then, so kids are, I think, really, I think we've, we've never pathologized young people in the way we have and the way we yes. do now. I mean, they've never been. And, you know, a great deal of what's wrong with them is actually simply a reflection of what's wrong in society in, in, in terms of the pressures they're under. They're under huge pressures, expectations coming at them from everywhere. There are family issues that may not be evident, but are, they're acting out. And there may be, uh, and there's a whole suspicion that, that you know, um, digital technology or smartphones are, are, you know, very correlated with, yes. yeah, they, 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 they're worrying, you know, they, we don't know. Yeah, and they're so helpful and so useful in some respects. And then other respects, People in the States are coming down very strong. I mean, serious researchers in terms that, you know, all these problems with kids, all this anxiety, it dates from 2010, 2014. You saw the rates. 100%. There's, for anybody that... And the smartphones came from the same time. So there's some... For anybody out there yeah. that, 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 that's, uh, that's uh, yeah. tuning into Netflix, unmissable um, documentary called The Social Dilemma. Yeah. Which yeah. charts... The rise of smartphones yeah, and yeah. the rise of anxiety yes. levels yes. in the United States. Yeah. It's very, very and, and 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 the 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 people who are the main protagonists in the documentary are some of the main algorithm developers yeah. in Google. Yeah. And think and they tell you themselves. Yeah. That's right. Why and how they did what they did. And they got out of the company. Some of them got out of the company and they went, I, why did you leave the company? You were on a million dollars a year. Because I have four kids and I could see what it was doing to them. I had to get out. So so here's the thing. I mean, we have societal issues and stresses and strains that are causing, if you like, symptoms in kids. We look at those symptoms. We pathologize them. And we say the symptoms are due to an illness that they have, yes. something they have, which has nothing to do with society. And in the same way, and that's why I think families get a great relief when the kid gets a diagnosis Quick because answer. nothing to do with us. I mean, nothing to do with what's going on at home. Thanks be to God. You know, poor Johnny has a genetic thing. I think they call it ADHD. And he that, that's what's wrong. And I hear this all the time. And I, I, It's very worrying. It, it, it has to be of huge concern that we're doing this more and more and more, more and more medication prescription for longer and longer and longer. I mean, the states, the last 10 years, antidepressants have doubled, mainly because people are being left on them 10 or more years. They're not being taken off. Why they're not being taken off? Very often because withdrawal symptoms are so painful when they're taken off. Stay on them. But the other the reason to stay on them is because how are you feeling, Mario? Good. OK. And you're taking the tablets. Good. Well, stay on the tablets because you, you might feel bad if you go off them. How are you feeling, Mario? Bad. Oh, you obviously need the tablets. Let's give you some more. So, so it's it, 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 it's tablets, like, tablets. yeah. So we're one in four women in the states is on antidepressants. One in four. I mean, you know, I mean, like I think. So I'm worried about that. And you know, when you start talking like this, psychiatry gets extraordinarily angry, extraordinarily defensive because they feel you're getting at them. Of course, of course, if it's not an illness and, you know, what is it? And maybe it doesn't need a doctor to fix the whole thing. So you oh get God. into you get you get into very thorny territory and and um, With very powerful lobby people, very powerful lobby. And I, I, I part of my reaction to that was I, I talked about this in the book. It's very hard to do this because I've worked with 
great psychiatrists, you know, and 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 they're still alive and practicing, and they're people who are extraordinarily compassionate, and they use medication and that, but they're they're very wise, and and they're likely not to prescribe us to prescribe. And they might use labels, but they they're not a big part of the conversation. They they really see the people they see and they care about them. And I I've named a lot of them because I I know that it's almost otherwise people will say, well, he's just being taking cheap shots at us. And I, I'm not. It's not about that. It's a much bigger issue. Tony, your thoughts on cannabis, cocaine, and alcohol? I mean, what will I ask you? I mean, is there evidence to suggest from your experience that uh, cannabis therapy is useful at any stage or what about people who even what's your what what do you believe yourself about people who use who smoke weed what do what do you think do you think it's a it's, it's well a, I, I once i had to do a big i had to do a big project for somebody i can't remember but it involved looking at all the research on cannabis and and actually i was surprised to find that it wasn't as harmful for the majority of children uh, as maybe we feared it, it, that that uh, a lot of people went on it as for a time or they tried it and they got off it and they were okay and, and maybe the majority of young people who try weed come off it and they're okay you mean recreationally yeah 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 and then and then the the but the other thing that i couldn't help but notice was you know many people who came into james's were young and had been on heavy doses of weed for some time and they got this cannabis psychosis. They 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 started to freak out in their head and then they got trapped in these hallucinogenic hallucinations. They couldn't get back out. Um, and I, I remember a wonderfully bright woman in her 20s who, who got into this. She'd been five years in some place outside Amsterdam and they just use weed all the time. So, so I think it does something to people. It does something and it creates a kind of lassitude in them kind of you know soporific yeah a little bit and and i think it it it, it i think it begin it i think it's probably solving a problem for them you know the ones who take it fairly heavily and and the real question is how could we solve uh, that, that problem, problem in yeah. another way but i don't think it's um I don't think it's without effect. You know, I think it's it's a drug, and it's a, you know, I think it's 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 a worrisome thing. And we're going through a cocaine epidemic. I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, in every small town in rural Ireland, yeah, you can get cocaine within three minutes on a bike. Wow. So I've never and, and tried is, it, and, and and this is not, yeah, this is not, you know, I mean, but everybody knows the effects of cocaine from like watching it, you yeah. know, on TV and in movies yeah. and everything. I mean, basically. How good can it be for your mental health when cocaine one hundred percent turns even the nicest person into a complete fucking asshole? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I remember I worked in in cool mine for a few years, um, and I remember when I started out, I said to this guy, I was going, he was a lovely guy, and he was getting himself really messed up with heroin, and I said, why are you doing it, you know? And what he said, Tony, he says, you know, like you don't understand. He says, you know, you know the way you feel sometimes bad in yourself, and I said, oh yeah, I know that. He said, you know, if you're not sure who you are, oh, you know that. He said, you know, you take all those feelings, and you know they're there, and they're really eating away, and then you shot a heroin, and thirty seconds, they're all gone. They're all gone, and you feel great. Might only last ten minutes. You might get a half an hour if you're lucky. But he said, when you come out of that, the first thing you think is, when can I do this again? Mm. And what do I have to do? Mm. And, you know, I 
I think that it is hard to face the difficulties in our lives, the issues. It is difficult, but it's how we grow. And when we avoid dealing with them and when we go down the road of just mood altering, uh, I think we get we, we stay stuck. Yeah. You just that's how we stay stuck. You're a nice guy, but you're just stuck. You know. One of, one of the ways I think. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm not. Yeah. A cli- I'm not a clinical yeah. person, but one of the ways I think of is, is the way we approach problems, our difficulties. Yeah. Right? And so, people see difficulties. It's it's language based as well. Language. Language is, is huge. Like we see problem. I have a problem. Yes. A problem. Yeah. P R O B L E M. Yes. I'm sick. I have an issue. I have something. You talked about. I have a disease. I have a disease. I have a problem. I have problems. Yeah. Problems are bad. Yeah. Problems are in society are seen as bad. The word problem is not a good. I get you, people get palpitations when they see the word problem. Yeah. Right. There are other societies or other frames of reference or or, or, or ways of approaching it which view problems as an enjoyable challenge. Yes. A, a, a process of finding out about yourself. Yes. A process that going. I'm going to look at this problem. Yeah. It's not a. It's hard, but by engaging with this problem, mm. I will find the most. Um, I will find the most great and um, brilliant journey for getting to know myself. Yeah. All it takes is actually looking the problem straight in the eye, if possible. Yeah. Which is huge. Which is really hard. And you need sometimes somebody but, I mean to make problem. you feel yeah. safe. But you're you're absolutely Let's right. Let's say you have a financial problem. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can you can you can look at that problem and try and navigate your way through it. Nothing will be more, feel more good, better than. It might be hard, mm. it might take a while, mm. but nothing will make you learn more about how to navigate around yourself. Yeah. A, a, an emotional problem. Do your tax returns. Yeah, you no, feel an, much but better. An afterwards. emotional, don't run away from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But do an emotional problem with somebody. Do the talk, do so the listening. What you're do saying, the listening and do the talk. Empr- embrace the problem. Yeah. Try and see the problem as an, okay, I, I, this is a bit of American, but try, the, try and see the problem as almost an opportunity. Yeah. For growth, healing. That's it. You know? I mean, what happens is we all have painful challenges yeah. to face. It, yeah. You know, opening the post, the bank balance can be a horrific step for somebody. Or maybe dealing with um, uh, an unwanted memory of something awful that happened mm. that keeps bothering me and wakes me up and I have flashbacks. It, it, it doesn't matter what it is, but there's always these things. The tendency for a lot of us is to then build a wall mm. and put all the problems outside the wall yeah. so we don't have to deal with them. What happens is the negative energy from those problems gets locked inside the wall. It's in us, inside. It's not outside the wall. It's inside. So even if we're not dealing with the thing, all the, the hurt and the pain. So for me, pain is, is, is a door that's inviting us to step through it and, and grow. And that, to me, is, is breaking the heart open because, it, it, you know, we grow. Not, not, not grow bitter, but grow in a more, in a more tender way. It's a know. revelation. Yeah. And, and 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 so when I see people with mental health problems, I, I mean, I I see this is somebody on the verge of growing. If if I mean, I have to be very careful saying this because there's different types of interventions required if somebody's suicidal. But when you know, once once they've been made safe, a moment of suicidal despair, even that moment can be a moment when I'm kind of my whole body is saying, I'm tired of being the way I am. 
I just don't want to live this way anymore. True. I want change. It's true. And I think, yeah, you need change. I agree. Let's work. So I, I was on the verge of changing. Let's let let's see. Can I let's put aside the yeah. the, 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 the the this dramatic. I'm going to end my life thing yeah. for a couple of months. You can always go yeah. back to that. But let's see if you and I can achieve that change. Yeah. Because that's what's really interesting, that you want to change. This reminds me of um, that, it reminds much. me of that famous yeah. Frank Capra film, um, A Wonderful Life. Wonderful Life, where yes. Jimmy Stewart is, yeah. is, is standing on the, the bridge, bridge. The angel. And he's feeling mm. suicidal and yeah. he wants to throw himself into the bridge. Yeah. And this man comes up beside him, an older yeah. man, and starts talking to him. And yeah. of course, it's the angel. And yeah. the angel shows Jimmy Stewart the what is what, what the world would be like without yeah. him. Yeah. And the world without him most of the film is 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 the world in which in which he has committed suicide or that he wasn't in yeah. and it's a terrible world everybody's on less happy all his community are less less uh, better because he hasn't been in it and he sees the value yeah. of his own life the value of his own yeah. being on the world and every, uh, every person has that it's wonderful yeah. I, I remember a young person who was had made many attempts on taking her life and, and she was maybe I know 1920 but I, I remember her she, she was speaking to I was at a conference and she had agreed to speak she said to them you know when I'm suicidal I don't want someone to just stop me killing myself I mean at times you need to do that but she said I want someone to give me a reason to live that's what I'm looking for. And I think that's the thing that, that we need to face. That it, Now if somebody says I feel suicidal, there's a whole protocol to be run through, a whole script to, to make sure in, 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 in the, of their safety and, and minimise the risk. Um, but yeah, fine, OK, that's where we start. But that's not the end. It's really the end is, you know, so... Yeah, how long has it taken you to come to this re- revelation that your life is is really sad and miserable, and 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 God doesn't want you to live that way. I don't want you to live that way. So let's think about how we could, what what it would take to make that to change that, and so move towards the pain, move towards the issue, because that's where you find freedom in yourself. It's it's not by avoiding. Tony, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me. This book is called Breaking the Heart Open. The Shaping of a Psychologist um, by Tony Bates. And it's been a great pleasure to talk to you today and to listen to you and to be listened uh, to by you. (laughs) (laughs) And and to be listened to by you. I mean, thank you for hearing me, as Sinead would say. Um, Fantastic talking to you and good luck with this. And Breaking the Heart Open um, is, of course, uh, face up to the problem. Look pain straight in the eye. Walk right through that door. Yeah. And uh, after all these years um, later, when you're on O'Connell Bridge, I suggest you have found your own God somehow. Okay, I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And that's it from this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tony Bates. I certainly did. If you want to get in touch with me, of course, it's MarioRosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all and I get back to most of them. Um, Thank you very much for listening. See you same time, same place next week. It's getting closer to Christmas.